Welcome to Absolutely Not, the live podcast series dedicated to providing examples of setting personal boundaries at work and the vocabulary needed to name harm in those spaces. I want everyone and anyone to set personal boundaries at work and create healthy relationships in the places that they want to be in. Absolutely Not is now sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp allows you to connect with one of 24,000 licensed therapists in a safe and private online environment. You pay just a low flat fee for unlimited therapy with your therapist. Visit www.betterhelp.com absolutely not for more information and to get 10% off your first month. Thanks again, BetterHelp, for sponsoring Absolutely Not. Thank y'all so much for being here today. I appreciate everyone in the Absolutely Not community for consistently showing up. You are continuing to make this space grow. The vocab words for this episode are racism, sizeism, and harm. You can find these words, their definitions, and more words that we use on Absolutely Not on the resources page of my website. And feel free to reach out if you'd like more words added to the page. Today's episode is titled, Be You, They'll Adjust. Okay, yes. Is that not our message <laughs> here? Ooh, and that um, message today right, is, is brought to you today by Tammy Jackson. Tammy is an instructional designer with the Winters Group Incorporated. She creates customized learning experiences that engage and push learners towards solutions that advance diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice within their workplaces, communities, and themselves. In addition, she has been a facilitator and panelist at conferences, a guest on several podcasts, and provided mentorship to many first-generation Black college students. She profoundly believes in the power and necessity of being one's authentic self. A self-described plus-size fashionista, makeup, artistry enthusiast, and budding sneakerhead, she is deeply invested in the importance of dismantling the intrinsic link between anti-Blackness and fat phobia. Tammy proudly hails from Detroit, Michigan, both the city proper and suburbs, and currently resides in Austin, Texas. Yay! Hey! Hey, that was a good intro. Thank you, friend. I can't read! <laughs> thank you so much for being here today we're excited to have you here thank you for having me Katrina it's a blessing I, I can't believe it. like I was just saying to you when we was doing our little pregame it's been a minute yeah, it's been a while and I need to stop doing that but when I get it together I will get it together but thank you for being here with me nonetheless I would love to hear where the title of today's episode came from be you they'll adjust yeah, so your girl was all in the world. She was scrolling on her Instawebs, you know, on the Instagram. This is about, let's say it's like two years ago. It was like right before the panorama, right? So it was about two years ago. And I was going through some stuff at my, my corporation that I was with back then. And I was experiencing some things. And I ran across a t-shirt that had that on it, Be You That Adjust. And it was so funny because I had just been talking to some homies and I was like, you know, 
somebody had brought up attention at that job at that particular organization I was with at the time they were like you know every time Tammy every time you walk in like you just don't change and you just you just people just gonna have to just adjust around it and they had said that and then like two weeks later I saw that t-shirt so it's like the universe was affirming that person's mm-hmm. statement even though they was trying to be a little petty it was a, it felt like an affirmation. And so sometimes you got to take it, you know, get like, get a little lemon, make lemonade. But there's like, yeah, every time you walk in, you just expect it to adjust. And I was like, I sure do. That'll be fine. <laughs> like, so that's where the title came from. Oh my goodness. I sure do. Like whoever is listening to this right now, she continues to do so. And is there a reason you continue to do so? For my soul. for my spirit, for my happiness. There's been so much that has been taken from black folks. So much that has been demanded of black women in particular, black femmes, black queer folk, that I feel like you can take all these things from us. You can have me start at the bottom of the ladder and have to scratch to the top. But And there's all these things that require us to give away if we want to be um we want to have the prize and i refuse to sell my soul for it and that means (laughs) that i'm not gonna get there as fast as some people but i'm gonna get there intact and shout out to nicole hannah jones i'm paraphrasing a quote by her um i'll go ahead and read it to you but like for me it's so important to be mindful of, how do I say this? If I'm not myself, I can't ask for what I need. If I'm not myself, I can't even ask for advocate. I can't advocate. How do I advocate if I don't know who I am or what I want? And if I'm not myself, then my journey it's essentially a false one, even if I arrived there because it only was at a piece of me. So when I was writing in a podcast or I was writing, I was listening to a podcast. This is, this came from an episode of another podcast. Nicole Hannah Jones appeared on in spring of 2019 and this blew me away. She says, and I always quote this. She says, you have to understand that when you make the conscious decision not to conform, you keep your dignity, but it might take you longer to get where you want to be. And you might not get there at all. But is it worth it to make it if you don't arrive there intact? And I would say it is not. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Shout out to Dr. Nicole Hannah-Jones for that. Kim. So that's, so to answer your question, that's why it's like, if I'm going to get there, I want to get there whole. We teach, we teach so much about the hustle, especially culturally. And I'm proud of how black excellence, hustle, striving, all that is great. And I understand where it comes from, but what difference does it make if we hustle, we got all the things and we, we get there, we don't get there whole. So yeah, you did all the things by yourself. You got it out the mud, you, but you didn't rest. You didn't, you didn't hold on to yourself on the way there. Then what difference does it make if you got there or not? So me, I'm cool with 
I might not ever have it, whatever that is. I might not ever be black excellence or very wealthy or have be a boss move like a boss. Um, but I'm not willing to part with who I am um, to get there. And that's not to say that people who do are all doing that. That's definitely not the case. And I see amazing folks doing it their way. But when you do it your way, you're going to have to be okay with the fact that you, you're not, everybody's not going to like it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, I am taking this on as much as I can um, with the amount of grace for myself as I have have enough. I remember a time when I put myself aside in order to get to the destination I was presented with. Like, this is the final destination. In order to get there, you need to leave these bags behind. You need to leave these ideals behind. You need to do all of that. Have you ever along your journey made that those types of decisions? Yeah, I, I was a pupling. I was younger. I was a lot younger. I was fresh out of my career. I was fresh out of college and my first job. And since I did all the things that not only the norm white folks were telling us to do, but other Black folks who came before me taught me to do. You know, they were like, straighten your hair, lose a whole lot of weight. Um, make sure you only wear these suits with no colors. Don't even wear clothes that have colors in them. Grays and blacks and navy blues. Don't talk with your black scent. Like, don't let nobody know you actually working class from Detroit. You have to talk like, you know, you're professional. And professional just means absence of anything other than white. <laughs> like, professional just is, is just an, is a is a is a loaded term for erasure of anything outside of whiteness that's all that is um and yeah so I did and here's the gag this is the gag this is the gag and I'm so grateful for the lesson early <laughs> no matter what I did to 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 like minimize myself or to make myself fit in this little box that wasn't gonna fit it was never enough like it was never enough. <laughs> and so I would change my hair and wear it straight and have a perm in it, which, and then it was like, oh, her hair's it's not professional. It's not, you know, it doesn't look right. I would say something and it would always be a critique because guess what? At the end of the day, you can't get, you know, you can't get rid of it because Blackness is inherently, particularly, but everybody, I'm talking about, when I'm talking about anti-Blackness, I mean Black people. I'm talking about Black people specifically. That is inherently in a country that is built on two things, anti-Black racism and the genocide of Indigenous people in their stolen land. So it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And I saw like, oh, sometimes I would see people, you know, kind of do the code switching or do the assimilation or whatever they thought. And I understand that a lot of people do that for their own safety. So I'm not knocking. I understand why we're all taught that, but be miserable when they would go home. So I was like, y'all can keep it. So yeah, I absolutely have done it before to the detriment of my mental health. Absolutely. To the detriment of my mental health. 
And I know a lot of us who have been in this audience before or have sat in your seat before have talked about that detriment that comes with not setting boundaries around your work or not being the full person that you are. Could you kind of talk about the extent that you got to with that detriment? Yeah, I mean, I remember one, and I said this in another podcast I was in, I remember one day I was um, leaving work from this job and I, and it's, it's so funny how the system will set you up to make you believe like that you're supposed to experience these hardships and then like they'll give you a fancy job or a fancy place to work and it's it, because you work here you should take the bullshit like you should be able to take this abuse because you get little black girl we let you in here so you can take the abuse so I was working at this company and I remember driving off the see and Pharaoh just said that they're also from Detroit so he said, you're going to be what up though? And I was, Pharaoh, listen, I was getting on a ramp about to get on 75 South. I remember the day and time and everything. This is, this is how the universe is. And I was getting on the ramp to jump on 75 to get back home. And I was in tears, Katrina. Like I just was bawling my eyes out. And I remember like, crying so hard that my blouse was stained with the wetness of my tears. And I remember that being the case when I would get on the on-ramp when I was pulling into this job. Every day I would cry. And that was, I was at that job for two and a half years. Two and a half years. And I'm thinking like, there cannot, this, there's gotta be more to it than this. And it was always something, right? It was every day the security guard there would stop me even though I had my badge and credentials and stop me and never let me through. It would go, it'd be going out to dinner or lunch with my coworkers, all of whom were white women and being stopped and having my purse dumped in front of my whole team. But I was the only one who was getting searched. It was being given, um, being inviting my family my mom and and my mom and stepdad to come and and be at an event that we're hosting and then accusing them of stealing the tickets and not being in the appropriate spot it was speaking up for myself and then saying we don't talk about that here we we don't air our dirty laundry in front of guests i mean girl the list is that's just one job and this has happened in some capacity at every single place i've ever worked at except for where I'm at now. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing your experiences here in this space. I really appreciate your use of the word abuse. So many people take racism and kind of everything that falls under that umbrella to not coincide with abuse. They see it very differently. And I know that you've experienced that in the workplace what allowed you to make sure that those two words coincide together for the rest of your life? You know, I have to give a, so this is like two layer. I got to give a shout out to my people, um, my family, particularly I'm thinking really my mother um, and my brother in particular. My brother is almost 14 years my senior and my mom um, was in the Black Panther Party when she was younger. So I guess like you say, I can start it off in her womb. Um, my, and I, they gave me the gift, those two particular individuals gave me the gift of realizing, like even when we left the city and moved to a suburb outside the city, my brother in particular was very particular 
about making sure that I knew that like, and I'm using his words right now. He's like, oh, you still going to be a nigga. <laughs> like, and I say that intentionally. And he, he would use language intentionally. And we was, he says, just because you go to those places and act like they're going to still see you as a black person. And my, they did a really good job of pointing out how to be proud of my heritage, right? Like they worked, they doubled down on that. And my father helped enhance that with taking me to places and museums and things like that to kind of enhance those lessons. But I was, I didn't have a great awakening, right? So I, I, I always had a conscientiousness that blackness was amazing and beautiful, but it was going to be a significant part of my life that would, would ultimately be something that I would also, often have to recognize as something that was going to be a challenge as well as being black in this country. So the, that's the first, like the first half. The second half is, I think I came into the realization that like, oh, I'm being abused when I started to divest from the script, mm. as it were. Okay. So the script for everyone, and they call it, sometimes they call it relationship escalator in some communities, but the script is you got to get a good job. You got to go to school. Got to get good grades. You get good grades so you can go to college. You go to college so you can get a good job. You get a good job so you can find you can buy yourself a good house. Buy a good house, you get a partner. You get an apartment, you have kids. You have kids, you take care of them, and and then you get a new house. And then, but here's the thing: it's like a pyramid scheme. It's like a it's like a, it's like a, it's literally like a pyramid scheme. You never can get off of it. So once you get the one, the first house, oh, it's not big enough. We got to get a new house. Or once you get this pr promotion, oh, you've now had a lifestyle which you can't afford, so you got to get another one. So you need to participate in the foolishness. Capitalism is going to keep you on that on that on that uh, on that hamster wheel. So as a woman who knew at twelve years old that she never wanted children, um, and as a woman who is big who's fat and tall I was always very big and always very tall and it wasn't like a thing that happened overnight certain pieces of that 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 script all already didn't I didn't fit in it already I was already ostracized from it so when you experience that ostracization in that way and you're kind of like off script if you will you get an earlier taste of what it's like to divest and then I happen to be an elder millennial or extennial, whichever word you want to use. And I graduated when the economy was shit, was trash. And I saw that my degree wasn't yielding the fruit that it promised me. And the white boys who didn't do half as well as I did in school was getting paid four or five times more than I was even in an economic depression. So once I start figuring out like, oh, the script is a lie and I don't have to participate in it, things change. Um, and I appreciate you breaking down the script for a lot of us because I think a lot of us are still reading the script on a daily basis and trying to keep up with the line, where's my line at? But here's the thing, uh, these lines don't match up to a lot of our lives, not, uh, not very well anyway. I love that you talked about the foolishness. What boundaries did you have to set in place with yourself 
to start moving away from the foolishness? Such a good question. If you would have met me in college or anybody listening to my voice who knew me when I was an undergrad, um, there's a lot of me who's the same and a lot who's different. And one of the things that I was really bad at was people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Trina, I was an OG level 100 people pleaser. And I sought that if I could just doormat myself for people that they would support me and love me and care for me. (laughs) Um, And often I did meet wonderful people, right? I did, but I also put myself in positions continuously in that sense, and even in that job, thank you so much for your comment, Pharaoh, um, to be taken advantage of and railroaded. So it's like you you, you advance from like, you start off, As a doorman and girl, then you're, you graduate into, you know, super hyperspeed rail. Everything is coming. The boundaries that I set first, and it kind of goes back to the title of this episode is like, I had to be okay with me. So I started divesting and an active divestment has been happening consistently for the past, slowly, incrementally for the past 10 to 15 years. Every three or four years, the investment continues to something else, something else. Um, and boundaries were being able to talk about things that were taboo at the time. It's not so much anymore. I think, well, not as taboo, but I remember getting railroaded when I talked about being a black woman who didn't want to have kids. Oh, I got drugged through the mud. And I'm not just talking about like white folks, my own people drug me through the mud, right? And I understand that because there's a fear in hearing something that's off script. I can say that now because I've been through therapy and I'm, you know, I'm a lot older and I can be empathetic to why they came at me that way, but it didn't feel good when it was 15 years ago. Um, there's, it, no matter what a black woman does, whether she wants to, to have the husband and the kids, and I'm very, this is very heteronormative, my language. No matter if a black woman wants a husband and the kids and the house, and the car and the career and the boss and the all and and the business, or she's like, I'm cool with just kind of being in my little one bedroom or you know renting for the rest of my life and going on my trips with my homegirls, whatever she ends up wanting, somebody's gonna have a problem with it. It don't even matter. So the boundary was speaking up for my and the, like I said myself, the boundaries came from when I got really acute mm-hmm. with being, I mean, extremely acute with knowing who I was the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all good. We talk about know who you are, like your makeup, like your hair. What are, and I, and I have said this to people and you cannot get to, you cannot be doing the work. This is one of my things. And somebody said this to me and I was at a, I was in a group, I was in group therapy. I remember this. And they said, name three of your top three toxic traits. And I was like, every time I've had them, I've said this to people, they struggle. Like I've said this at dinner parties. I've said this to people, men I've been dating. And at this big age, if somebody cannot name their top three toxic traits, they're not doing the work because you ain't done, you ain't done that dark, so that shadow work yet. Ooh, okay. And I will process that on my own time as well. Um, (laughs) And we talk about the ability to name well, I've, I've talked about a lot just 
how I used to be, do you want to fight to every conflict, every confrontation that came my way? And now I'm, I'm now enabled to set boundaries and have process and communication with people. What are some of the steps that you've had to take from um, not being able to name your top three toxic traits to the person that you are today? One was accepting the fact that I deserve care that I deserved love, that I deserved healing. I know that sounds real foo-foo, but it's true. Um, knowing that the work is never done. Mm. Like I, I can name mine off of, off rip and I can name some of my top three. I can do that off rip now because I've been doing the work for, I've been doing the work, but like the work doesn't stop. You're going to continue to have to do the work because you live in this country. You're a, you're a, you're a vessel in this world. So this is just stop. That's one. I think the other thing, and I'm sorry if I'm not really answering the question, I'm getting away from it, but I think that transition, I mean, one of the biggest major transitions in my life was leaving Detroit and going to, and going to Texas. Oh, like, wow. and that happened, I was pretty, I was older. Like I was 26 when that happened, right? 26, 25, 26. And so that changed my whole life because it was, I had, I went by myself. I only knew, I had only knew one person who lived outside the city at that time, basically, but no one else. Um, and I came here on this hope and dream of like going to grad school, which I did achieve, but it, nothing, it did not turn out in any capacity the way I imagined it. Nothing that I set out that I wanted to do or the reason it came out, except for the fact that the biggest thing was, the biggest thing was leaving Detroit. And that's, and, and that's not like a shit on the city or the suburbs that I was living in at the time. That's not a shit on any of those pieces, but I was a hometown girl. I was planning to move back into the city when I got my acceptance letter to graduate, to go to University of Texas at Austin. So I was going, I was planning this thing. I was like, okay, I want to move back into the city. Da, 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 da. And then I got my acceptance letter to go to UT Austin. So like nothing that you plan, what is it like? Some military says like, and I know you might know this, but like nothing survives like the first round or the first mm -hmm. plan, like, <laughs> right? So when you get put out here, and I remember that was my first lesson of vulnerability. That's when I first started going to therapy more, like, more consistently. Because let me tell you, grad school whooped my fucking ass. Like, and I am using that word. I am using the language. It beat me down. It was a terrible, horrible experience. However, the people I met there and the, and the students I got to work with, they were fantastic. I made some true, true friends in that space. I will not... I would never, I wouldn't trade it because the people I know now is because I came here. Mm -hmm. But I had to learn how to ask for help for the first time in my life in ways I had never been before. And when you down on your knuckles, you'll change, you'll adjust. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you'll adjust. Oh my gosh. You've talked a lot, a lot about transitions and adjusting and the ability to just ask people around you to elevate themselves. What were some of the boundaries you had to set with the people around you in your new environment to ensure that they elevated themselves? Ooh. Ooh. This is why, that's like, this is real nigga shit. So let me tell you, <laughs> being able to say no and having them in the boundaries of him, them and hearing it. No was, I thought when I grew up, I was like, oh, no is for me as much as it's for you boundaries are what you know that quote boundaries are the space and the distance between I can love you and me at the same time simultaneously 
like I had to tell people no consistent like pretty often actually I had to I had to stop inviting myself to arguments oh excuse me yeah it don't matter you know especially when you know social media Facebook and everybody you know anybody who know me for a long enough time like I'll post something on my Facebook and then somebody will be like but actually and get into arguing with me and I'm like oh that's an invitation we're gonna go back and forth for 45 minutes and my heart rate's up. And I remember being on Stick Street with a whole bunch of friends. This is about my second year of grad school. And I was on Stick Street and we had just left somewhere and we're going to this next venue. And I remember stopping, I was walking and I stopped and I thought I was having a heart attack. And I was like 27. It wasn't a heart attack. It was my panic. It was a panic attack. I felt like a heart attack. Everybody was about to lay me out. I went to like, they took me to urgent care, got an EKG. Girl, I was fine. And then I was like, oh, I got to stop. I got to stop showing up to all these arguments I'm invited to. So I started, and I also had to start, um, this is a hard one. This is really, really difficult. Um, I had to do some updates on my social media hygiene. I had to start unfriending and unfollowing people that I had just made trauma bonds with because I just kind of met them. See, I'm OG enough to have been around pre-Facebook. So I had friends, friends, I'm using that word in quotations, but I had connections online with people that I just may have just met in class one time in 2004, Mm -hmm. right? And so I had to be deliberate about cleaning up and maintaining my social media hygiene, right? My hygiene was bad. I was constantly, man, let me tell you, Christina, with them trauma bonds, like you will have the people like, oh, we were this together. And then you'll feel tied to not want to get rid of it. And I, I, it, it didn't have to be this whole announcement, but I had to be more deliberate and more intentional about unconnecting myself both physically and digitally. And then being more deliberate about putting more things into my feed that would feed my soul. Okay. So it went from oh, it's just, this is my second cousin or this is my mama's friend or this is whoever. This is the guy that I, the, the people I liked. And then as soon as I started speaking my truth, I was starting to lose friends. People wanted to argue. You start, you start speaking about, you start speaking up for things that are not popular, you're going to start losing friends quick. It's going to really narrow it down real quick. But my hygiene was so bad that I had all my notifications on my phone blowing up all the time. I had pop-ups constantly coming up. So then I had to start being so intentional, like take the notifications off. Mm-hmm. shut the shit down you can still be on there but why are you utilizing this it was that's one of the biggest boundaries that I had for myself another one is and this is I have a, a saying I said I uh, keep my peas and carrots separate I don't shit where I eat so I do not date <laughs> or get really close to people that I worked with right I would go and do little social things that I thought you know that was a necessity obviously for all those things but um when you move to a new place by yourself some of the only people that you meet are people that, that for friends are people you work with. Mm-hmm. That's a recipe for disaster. Especially when you, you, you're a rah-rah bitch like me. <laughs> it's a recipe for disaster. So I would preemptively delete and block folks that I worked with just so I didn't have to deal with those things. I would be, I would be very intentional about saying, oh, hey, I, I was looking for you on Facebook. I added you. And I said, oh, no, I, I don't add people. And I was very honest. I don't add people that I work with. Just be very honest. I think that goes back to saying your needs. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the boundaries that I set with other people. And um, 
watching, I love, I'm a very responsive person. I love my people. So if I love you, I'm going to respond. I had to check myself because I was responding to a whole lot of people who weren't, who didn't warrant my energy. So I had, I, I literally, this is how, this is how like strategic this was. I literally made a list of people who was worthy of my instant response. I made them my top like I, I put them so like my best friends, like my, my, one of my best friends of all times in this conversation. So if you go into my phone and you'll see like, <laughs> I, I starred them all. And if they have a star, they will float. Like I had them on the top of my list. Those are people who are warrant my, my instant response. They can, they have access to me in this way. Otherwise I need to turn on do not disturb and I can get to it when I can get to it. And that goes back to what OG, you know, my OG Brittany Janae said about embracing the power of the pause. Mm. Oh, I am a very visual learner and I know you're an instructional designer. So thank you for designing that for me. Um, the RSVP to the arguments, uh, well, the invitation to the arguments, that gives you a chance to RSVP no. Man, every single time somebody comes up on my post, I will RSVP, yes or no. Oh my goodness. And I think with social media, so many people don't understand the power that they have in that pause and in the strategy that you are creating. They don't think they have the ability. Well, if I added so-and-so in middle school, I will have to carry them with me for the rest of my life. No, you don't. You do not. <laughs> you don't. And, you, and, here's, and I'm gonna say real frank to you, like my auntie and, and God rest her soul, Ernestine Walker, you don't owe them shit, niece. And that's that guilt that we, especially we teach femmes and young girls, we feel, we teach them. I just wrote something and, and me and you got to actually be on the blog this week, but we, I wrote something about versus nice versus kind. And we teach little girls to be kind, uh, to be nice for niceness sake. We don't teach folks to be kind mm. and they're different. And we weaponize niceness as a performance and it's nasty. There's a, there's a term nasty, nice, mm. but we are not intentional about being kind. So I, when I meet new people, I'm, I tell people, I was like, I'm not a nice bitch, but I'm very kind. <laughs> I'm not nice. Oh, and that's it. a boundary. Mm. I love that you talked about the performance and your expectations that you're bringing into relationships. For all the people that are listening to this and have no idea to even start on their list, like, okay, I would like to delete people on Facebook. There are some people in my life that are probably trauma bonds what would be the top three tips you share with them about getting this train on track and cutting those people out? Absolutely. So for me, it was going back to being honest with myself. Mm -hmm. So doing that inner soul work, asking myself, why, the, why do I value this attachment? Why do I value this attachment? What am I afraid of? Am I afraid that I'm going to see uh, Susie at the bar and she's going to know that I unfriended her. Okay, then let her say something. My brother has a really good, um, and it's helped me with anxiety because I experience anxiety. I live with, I, I'm a person who lives and experiences anxiety. And he said, Hey, little sis, just embrace the worst case possible scenario. I'm like, and usually the theater what's in your head is more dramatic than what actually happened. So, yeah. 
So that's the one, that's step one is to know why you had that, that bond, why you were invested in that relationship, why, what it means to you. And then make a, make a, for me, it was a pack. So because I was scrolling and, you know, they call doom scrolling, I would just, you feel it, you'll scroll it and it'll be, it'll be something, it could be innocuous. And this is something that, you know, and there's a difference between unfollowing and blocking, right? And sometimes you have to unfollow somebody for a season, but get back to them. There are people who may enhance your jealousy because you're going through some transition. So I was experiencing a lot of jealousy six, seven years ago with people. I was, I was struggling with the fact that their careers were blossoming and they felt it. And it's to me, I'm watching their highlight reel and like they're doing better than me. And so it's enhancing my jealousy, whatever. And so check that, acknowledge it. That goes back to naming our three toxic traits or the three things that are about ourselves, our shadow work. Like, oh, I am doing this. Let me unfollow them so they don't have to be, we, I don't have to put anything on them because they didn't do shit to me. So it's, mm-hmm. some of it are people who are harming me by their content and others is about my own behavior, right? And so being honest with themselves, like, oh, I'm jealous right now. Okay, let me take this. Let me unfollow this right now. And then I can come back to it later. Or if this person is harmful because of the, where they're in their life right now, I'm unfollowing them. Like I'm, I'm, I'm unfriending them. I am, I'm removing the connection. Mm. So we have the tools of block, unfriend and unfollow. Those are out the three things. Those are three different things. And knowing when to hold them, when to fold them, which one to use, right? And being honest with oneself about why is this, why am I holding on to this relationship? Why did I add it? Do I need it now? is and is what i'm seeing from them triggering something an insecurity in me it may not be but if it is i need to address it Mm. and move accordingly so many boundaries for ourselves just in those tips is there any is there for somebody who's still struggling with this because social media is such a weird place it's just a weird fucking place Mm. um is there any (laughs) Is there any way you could keep someone in your life, even though they haven't passed any of those criteria, or is there a reason you should keep anybody in your life if they haven't passed any of those? Leave me alone. If is there a reason if they haven't passed any of those criteria? I'm a little bit more cold. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit more high. Like, I I think. Let me be honest. So. We're going to have people who are like in our inner circle who are just going to piss us off because we're human. Your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, those people. I am fortunate enough that no one in my like immediate family has done something so egregious that I've had to cut them loose. But I am not above it if it was so egregious. I experienced privilege there. Everybody cannot say that. So I am not a woman who will say like... (laughs) yeah that cutoff game can be a lifesaver yes Anura. so like those things happen we always tell people like that's your mama that's your uncle that's your daddy they're still harming me right and so denying access to yours to from you is a boundary denying people access to you is a boundary mm-hmm. and the, the reason it's like, you know, it's all that, 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 uh, that adagio of like, I go to therapy for all y'all people who don't go to therapy. Like I can't change my, you know, my cousin or, you know, my auntie for poor behavior. I cannot change them. Change only feels good when it works. 
and you have no change, you have no authority over changing nobody, especially no adults. You can hope that they do better, but you can't change them. So you either got to make a decision they're going to be in your life or who they are right now is not serving you. Y'all just not there. Y'all all in water right now. So I am not above cutting clean, people clean the F off. Like I'm, I, can, I will cut you clean the fuck off if I need to. But there are people, there's a difference between me and my sister got into an argument. We got to go back and forth. We got to hash it out. Mm, that's not, that's like, if I'm cutting her off because we got into an argument or disagreement. That's not, that's not the same as she's continuously harmed me or I've continuously harmed her over and over again, repeatedly, right? So there's a difference between like lack of communication skills and sparing your dignity, sparing not your dignity. I, I think that's not the word, but sparing your, your inner peace, as my mother would say. Like, oh, you, you bring chaos every time I'm with you. Okay, now we gotta, we gotta end it. Hmm. So I'm not, I'm not above it. Like I am not above denying access to me. I am just not. But by the time you, you've, you've gotten there with me, you done graduated. Like there was, <laughs> I am so direct. Like, you know, it's coming. Like there is, I, I will go back and forth a few times, especially if I care about you. But if I've cut you off to me, it's because you have, I, you have over a course of time violated boundaries. Hmm. Ooh, which is why it's so important, just like you said, to know them, to already have those expectations laid out. So when you meet these new people or they connect with you on LinkedIn, Ugh, hey, this is what I'm about. If you're not about it, please let me know so I can cut you the fuck off. Earlier, um, <clears throat> earlier this year, I had a mentor on LinkedIn and she, she was not there for me the way I needed her to be. And in therapy, I asked my therapist, is there any way I could keep this mentor in my life? Is there any way? And she, my therapist only said one word. She's just like, why? Why would you need her if she can't be what you need her to be? Broke my heart into a million pieces. Um, but those are, that's, them's the facts. Those are the facts. Them, them, them's the breaks, right? And also, I interview this way. I enter relationships with people the same way. I, and I talk about just relation, intimate partners, friend, new friends, coworkers. Matter of fact, when I started at my new job and I was interviewing, or I was doing a one-on-one with some new teammates, I asked them, I was like, how can I best support you? How can I win with you? And what do you need from me? And how do you best receive feedback or criticism? Mm -hmm. And those are questions I asked all those folks at work because we're all different. And they're like, oh, no one's ever asked you that before because I wanted to start off with sharing expectations. It's all good because I'm an extrovert and I get in, I was talking to my sister about this, like, it's all good, like, to be introverted or to be extroverted, wherever you fall on that spectrum. And uh, I tease my friends who are introverts and they, they'll, they'll, they'll notice I'm teasing them. But I'm like, oh, introverts, y'all be really the they y'all be honest, extroverts will be all loud and, you know, rah! But then the introverts will say, I need my, like, I need, you know, alone time, which is valid. And I'm like, yeah, but did you tell me that that's what you needed or was I supposed to guess? So taking that as an example, right? Like that's just a, a, parad a paradigm example. But like, if I know what I need, I can better inform the people that I care about and people that I work with what I need. So for example, when I work, this is not this job, but I've done it ever since. Every job I've interviewed, I'm like, hey, I don't answer. I, I cut off my notifications. I set my notifications up in such a way that they do not ping my phone all the time. My anxiety cannot handle it. My heart rate cannot handle it. Mm -hmm. I do not check my, my email constantly. I have three times a day that I check it and I respond accordingly based on these three times, right? 
but you can't know if you don't know yourself and you don't know your needs and you have not done the work you cannot have it like you cannot ask for what you need in the beginning of any relationship oh and then you have to check in with them and this goes back to the title of the episode be you they'll adjust because you are extroverted because you have expectations because when you come into those relationships you're able to articulate those needs that you need in that relationship they can do the same and y'all can adjust accordingly in the relationship oh my goodness it's ironic because most of my friends many of my friends are introverts and like extroverts um I don't know, you know, it's not, it's not West Coast, East Coast beef, but like extroverts uh, in the, in the cultural zeitgeist get a lot more attention, a lot more support. They are seen as leaders in ways because they're, they're, they're seen as rah-rah and they're out there and all these other things. I actually have a theory that that only applies to white boys who are extroverts, because I believe that wherever you are on the spectrum, if you are a black or a marginalized person, you extrovert, it actually makes you a target in different ways, in certain ways. Um, however, I do think it's important wherever you're amnivert, introvert, or whoever, whatever your personality may be, you are worthy of getting the support you need. But you have to be able to articulate that. Mm-hmm. And even though, yes, I'm an extrovert, one of those, one of the ways I'm able to articulate that is doing all this work about therapy mm-hmm. and self-discovery and shadow work and all those things. I was able to do that through that. So it's scary. No one ever wants to look at the top three toxic traits and work on your who that is, or they don't want to do that. But it has made my life significantly better when I'm able to speak what I need and remember what I know. Thank you so much for all this amazing. I have, whoa, I have to process so many things from this episode on my own time, of course. And so I appreciate you bringing that energy in this space. Is there any last minute sprinkles you'd like to share with the audience before we roll out? Yeah, go ahead and check me and Katrina on this uh, week's Inclusion Solution blog. Both of us were posting on Inclusion Solution. I can go ahead and actually drop the link here so y'all have it. Don't. Um, go ahead and check it out. She wrote an amazing, amazing piece about um, her experience um, with the gentrification what's happening and how it's impacting indigenous people of Hawaii. And I was able to write a, a point of view article on uh, by whose standards about nice versus kind. So check that out. I'll make sure that Katrina gets the link so she has it to share with you all. If you're interested in any of myself outside of what uh, I do for a living, because I, I love my work, but I am not my work. <laughs> so uh, you can find me at Motor City Pretty Creative on Instagram. If you're interested in following me, go ahead and follow that. Uh, this is my favorite time of year, Halloween. So you might see some treats at the end of this year. I might be coming up with something new. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, um, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Tammy Jackson. Thank you so much for being here. I will, oh my goodness. I cannot thank you enough. This was powerful and impactful on me and everybody who is listening. Um, Until next time, everyone, keep setting those boundaries. Bye. Yeah, send them boundaries. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Absolutely Not. Your support means the world to me. You can always further support the show by leaving a review or visiting the support the mission page on my website, www.katrinastroll.com. 
My website is also where you can register for upcoming live episodes, watch amazing past episodes of Absolutely Not, and buy Absolutely Not merch. Yay! Until next time, keep setting those boundaries and saying absolutely not to anything unaligned. See you next time.